This episode of Fermented Adventure, the podcast, features Herman Mihalich of Dad's Hat. It was an amazing experience to speak with one of the true pioneers of modern craft distilling. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Herman and Dad's Hat to let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. Today I'm at Dad's Hat, and I'm joined by Herman Mihalich. Yep. Did I say that right? Perfect. I've been practicing the whole time. I am well so done. thankful for your time today, and I'm so excited to be spending some time here at Dad's Hat. So tell me about how the distillery, how this all was conceived. What was the starting point of this? Starting point was an article in the New York Times in 2006 that said rye whiskey, which was almost dead at the time, was going to make a comeback. And uh, that I picked up on, on that because my grandfather and my father were both rye whiskey guys. My grandfather started a uh, tavern. Uh, that was originally a speakeasy out in the Pittsburgh area, and they were big rye whiskey guys. And uh, so I brought that to the attention of my business partner, John Cooper, and said, wouldn't it be fun to bring rye whiskey back to its home here in Pennsylvania? Because in 2006, there hadn't been anybody making rye whiskey in Pennsylvania for almost 20 years. So we thought it would be a fun idea, and we kicked it around. It was mostly just kind of a joke. You know, it was like a, over a couple of drinks. Yeah, yeah, this would be really fun. Um then we decided in 2009 to get more serious about it because, in fact, what the Times had predicted was coming true. Rye whiskey was making a comeback. It was growing. Right. And there was a lot of interest in it. So we, um, we did some investigation, did some homework, and uh, looked at recipes, uh, historical recipes, uh, talked to a lot of people in the industry, spent uh, time going back and forth to Michigan State University, who used to have a program there called uh, the Artisan Distillery Program. And we were able to get hands-on training on a still uh, that's almost identical to the one we eventually purchased. So with that hands-on training, was it the specific recipe that you were looking to produce? Or were you across the board trying to do some different things and test and, and just learn the process of distillation and fermentation? A little bit of both. Okay. Uh, I mean, I had some background. Uh, I'm a chemical engineer by training. Uh, my eighth grade uh, science project was a still. Okay. Um, there's so you were really stamped at birth. Yeah. This I mean, is what you were going to do exactly. from the saloon and everything else to here. I mean, I spent 35 years in the chemical industry <clears throat> doing, you know, as an executive. So <clears throat> I was away from that um, for a little while, but the technology side, but it, it was pretty easy to come back. And, and the, the, the team at Michigan State did a great job of reorienting us on terms of operations, but also in terms of recipes. So we, we were able to go there with some ideas that we wanted to 
use our, our, our guideline was let's try to recreate something that used to exist in Pennsylvania. Gotcha. We're not trying to be 100% authentic or else we would have built it still a different way and maybe, uh, but the recipe is pretty close to what was the original style. And, uh, and we took that to Michigan State. They gave us some guidelines on operating parameters. Uh, they have a, uh, had a microbiologist there helped us choose the yeast uh, that we're using. So how did you go through the process? I mean, yeast is very important, and a lot of people don't realize the value and what it brings to the distilled spirit. How, how did you go about choosing your yeast? That was mostly the recommendation from uh, the microbiologist there. He okay. said you know, it, it's a strain that's been around a long time. And uh, he said this will be, the, you know, the kind of use that would have been used to make American rye whiskeys, uh, even you know, b- back at that point. So uh, we were we, that one. We went on uh, the the guidance of of an expert. Gotcha. Yeah. So you settled on at that point. You settled on a recipe. Uh, yeah. Ma- you know, whole mash build and everything else. Correct. And we've stuck with that mash bill. Um, you know, and it's the Pennsylvania style. It's rye grain, eighty percent. 15% malted barley and 5% malted rye. And we brought the malted rye in there because they, even though the, most of the distillers back in the day were using malted barley, some of them were use, using malted rye. So we kind of threw a little bit in there just to bring out. And it does have a specific uh, flavor uh, contribution. It, it gives it a bit of a um, uh, an anise uh, background to it. So if you, uh, you'll, you pick that up in some of our whiskeys, particularly our younger whiskey, it's a bit more pronounced. I'm glad you shared that. You know, the impact that the barley and the different kinds of barley that you're using is making on what you're putting in the bottle. And the barley was important because um, the typical, what's called in the industry, distiller's malt, uh, is a, uh, it's a uh, six-row malt that is very high in enzymes, but not so high in flavor. So because we knew we were going to be selling our whiskey at a relatively young age, we wanted to be sure that our, uh, our white spirit started off with a, a lot of flavor. So we chose a, a two-row brewer's malt to, um, uh, to use because it, it's relatively high in enzymes, but also has a lot of flavor. It's a, it's a kind of a pale biscuit malt, that, but it has a very nice toasted flavor to it, which we think uh, balances well with the, the drier, spicy side of the rye. So you're now at 2009. You're working with Michigan where does that all come into play? You've got your recipe. Where does that all come to play with the inception of the distillery? And take us through the process there. Well, once we were satisfied that we had a, uh, a good recipe from uh, tasting the white uh, white dog, and we did some uh, aging just some uh, to play around in some smaller barrels just to get us an idea of where that orientation was going, and we were pretty happy with what we were getting. So then we uh, went to the manufacturer of the still that was being used at Michigan State, Carl, and uh, ordered our... Well, where's Carl? Where, where's the manufacturer it, from? It's a German company. Gotcha. Um, at the time, Vendome was not, let's say, enthusiastically supporting the craft side. They yeah, were you're just, really in, just getting into You're it. in the inception of the craft industry, so... Yeah, there weren't many people. There were some distilleries around, but they were mostly... There were one or two whiskey guys, but they were mostly uh, brandies. And most of the more well-known brands of that time were mostly purchased uh, whiskeys, either you know, mostly coming out of Easter, uh, out of um, Western Canada, or from Indiana. Oh, MGP, MGP, and, okay, and Alberta. Yeah, gotcha. so there weren't many people making whiskey yet on their own. Um, so we were, um, so we had, we used the guidance we got from Michigan State, and um, the and the people from Carl were great because they have a lot of experience as well. And we ordered our well, we 
John and I went out to a bunch of fraternity brothers that we've known for uh, 30 plus years and said, okay, um, we, you know, we talked about starting a business together 40 years ago. Um, now we have a business plan, so let's ante up. And I, I'm quite sure this wasn't a hard conversation or a hard sell, was it? Not really, but I mean, plus, I mean, John and I were experienced business people. Right. I mean, you know, they knew that there was a certain amount of risk involved for sure, but they also knew that John and I were pretty, pretty experienced hands. I mean, you know, we didn't, you know, we, we've been, both of us have a, a, a long resume of working uh, in the in the business world and uh, they felt comfortable that we had done the right kinds of things to manage the risk, certainly by spending time at Michigan State, by understanding the technology side. Uh, we were able to have uh, several meetings with the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board who gave us some feedback on as to what they would be looking for. They're obviously a big, big customer of ours even today. And we were lucky enough to, um, there was an experienced uh, uh, person in the industry who helped us out a lot as well, uh, because it, uh, just pure luck, uh, this guy plays golf with a guy I used to work with. So It's all about relationships yeah. and who you have that ability to connect with, isn't it? Yeah, it was great because he was very, he was not a, he was not a uh, you know, he wasn't just like you know, saying, uh, boy, you guys, it's going to be a lot of fun. He was very, uh, he's a serious guy. He's been in the business for a long time. Gave us very sometimes difficult things to hear, you know, and feedback on our business plan, basically pointing out things like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Or, yeah, that's a good idea. And was very frank and forthcoming with his advice, which was very valuable. Yeah, for, I, I would say you know, it's already talking to you about some of the roadblocks or some of the traps that you could run into to save you time and money yeah. at that point, right? So that was very valuable. So uh, we, uh, we hit our target for fundraising in December of 2010, placed the purchase order for the equipment in December 2010. It was delivered. This was before there was a lot of people buying still, so we got delivery in five months, which okay. is, uh, I don't think you can do that today. <laughs> um, and um, by uh, May, June, we had the first delivery of equipment. And uh, we had it, uh, installation complete by um, September and started up in September. So September rolls around and you fire up the still for the first time. What's that like? What was that, what was that experience like for it you? It was very exciting, obviously, yeah. uh, and a little bit of uh, anxiety. But I think we had done our homework. You know, I felt comfortable. And one of the folks at Michigan State who was a uh, postgraduate uh, uh, there, um, working in their in that program in the lab, we actually hired him for a week to come out here and help us write our operating procedures, and to um, you know give us some uh, hands-on support during the startup phase. Now you've got the still working yep. and everything's starting to come out. What kind of time frame were you considering at that point? So where you've got your juice and you've got everything else to where it's going to go in the bottle and then the customer was going to get a chance to enjoy it. What kind of time frame or what's the time frame look like for that? Well, obviously that was in September and we were just filling barrels to start with in uh, the first several months. We did come out with a white rye, which we still sell. We okay. still sell some. There, a lot of people use it in cocktails. It's quite. We have a, a few bars in New York who use it quite a bit. And in New Jersey and in Maryland, and we just we're getting inquiries from the Midwest all of a sudden, which is interesting um, uh, for the white rye. In, in the meantime, we were we started off like a lot of craft guys have done uh, with smaller barrels. So we're we had done some tests on with 15 gallon barrels, and we're pretty happy with that. And uh, so we started filling our 15s uh, during the you know starting in September uh, that we were able to start selling 
uh, early in, or say mid-2012. Uh, okay. So that that's the opening of the tasting room. Yeah, the tasting room, we, we actually, you're right. We The tasting room wasn't even here for a while. Okay. We didn't really start building the tasting room in, until after the, uh, into 2012. And we start, I think we didn't really start tours until that following fall, 2012, probably. Yeah. Now, what was for you and, and just the process of waiting for the aging to go through the barrels? Tasting a lot, just what, what was that period a, a like? A lot of, sure, a lot of anxiety. I mean, okay. you know, because. Even though we were, I was very comfortable with the white spirit that we produced. It was comparable to what we had produced in Michigan State. Um, it tasted great by on its own. It wasn't any off fermentation. You know, the fermentation was good. The distillation was clean. Uh, so we, and the barrels we knew were coming from a reputable supplier. So you know, all those variables were lining up to say, okay, we, you know, it, the wheels shouldn't come off. But you've thought it out. You've got a plan. Right. This is what it should be, but. Once it hits the barrel, you don't know. You just don't know. Yeah. Um, so from that standpoint, where did you start to source your product, your 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 uh, natural products in in this area of the state? How did that go for you? Because I, I guess most of the people you were speaking to were used to speaking to, let's say, brewers, but not distillers. Yeah, we were we were fortunate um, in two dimensions. We um, we when we did our test batches at Michigan State, we actually bought. Pennsylvania rye okay. from a broker in Lancaster County. And um, so we were able to use them, and they were sourcing uh, rye from uh, Pennsylvania farms, including in central Pennsylvania. They were reaching out to to get uh, rye for us uh, through this broker in Lancaster. Then, uh, again, one of those things you, you just never know, and, and it turns out to be a very fortuitous uh, meeting. Uh, there's a guy who um, is now doing this full-time, his name is Mark Fisher. He has a mill, a grain mill, gotcha. in uh, in near Doylestown called Castle Valley Mills. He stopped in with a bag of rye flour and said, would you be interested in buying rye flour from our mill? We said, well, no, but we, because we have our own mill, uh, handling flour is a bit too dusty. We want to handle, we want to buy, we're buying grain right. and milling it ourselves. He said, well, then you should meet uh, Nevada Meese. He's the farmer who grows the rye that I use in my mill. So he introduced us to Nevada Meese and the Meese family in Regalsville at Meadowbrook Farm, and who is now our 100% supplier of our rye grain. So everything that's going into your still, into the bottle, is within an hour's drive it's, of where we are. We are still buying malt from Wisconsin. Okay. And the reason being is that because, as I mentioned before, the malt plays such an important role in the flavor, uh, we are a little reluctant to make a change. Since that time, there's a couple of good suppliers in Pennsylvania making malt. We'd like to be able to uh, switch to those guys. And we're, I, I know they're going to hear this and they've heard me say this before, <laughs> but I think what we're going to try to do is uh, we've reached a point now where because we've expanded our capacity and we have a little bit more open time in our schedules, we might this fall look at doing like an all Pennsylvania Something special, change up the small, small, small batch batching, release. Yeah, small batch. See release, how that goes. See how that goes using all Pennsylvania malts, and maybe switch up the malt we're using a little bit instead of using instead of trying to reproduce what we're doing. Something, try something fun. You know, try something different. I think that sounds exciting, and yeah. it, it bodes well with what you have here. That you can just put something on to your still, ferment through, distill through, and see what it comes out as because yeah. you've got that reputation now. People know who Dad's Hat is, and. How, how did the name Dad's Hat come about? Where is that from? That was an invention of uh, the company we use to do our um, 
all of our creative work and our marketing. It's a company called Signature Communications in Philadelphia. Okay. And um, we were talking to them. We had several ideas, most of which were not that good. And uh, the principal, one of the principals there, Tony, um, recognized that I used to wear a lot of. I still do wear a lot of my dad's. Hats. That's how I recognize you a lot. You've yeah. got your hat. Got yeah, the hat on. So, <laughs> so um, except for now, for the podcast, there's no hat. I, I took the hat off. It, it, <laughs> it's hot in here. It's hot in here. We're now, so. we're right in the middle of everything, and exactly. there are barrels that are being filled around us, and a lot of stuff that smells great in here right now. It does smell good. Yeah. So <clears throat> Tony noticed the hats, and because of the you know part of this backstory is our the personal connection with my dad, and my grandpa, and and the. Um, uh, the bar and the rye whiskey that uh, that they both served and consumed, all that part of the backstory, um, which is where I got my orientation towards rye. But in addition, in a more general sense, what Tony uh, and this is what, why those guys are smart and they're marketing people. Um, the 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 fedora hat on the on the label is a way to communicate a nostalgia that we wanted to associate with our brand. I think so. So, like when you see the fedora, you think of old-timey films, maybe you're a Mad Men uh, fan, or maybe it's your favorite uncle. But yes. in different ways for different people, it evokes a certain nostalgia that we wanted to uh, associate almost emotionally with our brand. We're bringing something back. We, you know, Pennsylvania used to be such a great source of rye whiskey. We're bringing it back to where it was uh, where, where it was started. So that was a way to communicate that part of our brand DNA. Your brand, your logo are almost like the opening credits for watching a movie. Yeah. And that sets the tone for what you can expect to start with the nose and the taste and the flavor and then just the experience that you we want, want to have. Orient, we want to orient people in that direction. I think that's that's very well thought out. Yeah. So that's again that's why uh, you know a guy like Tony at Signature that's why he gets paid. That's why right. he gets paid. That, that's what he does. I mean, you know, John and I had a bunch of very strange ideas which we won't even go into, but um, <laughs> but we're, we're pretty happy with that. It's a unique it's a unique brand. Um, you know, we just didn't name it after somebody or uh, or, or uh, some silly combination of a, you know, uh, dancing duck or something like that. We, gotcha. You know, it has a certain meaning for us, and we think that it, it can it can convey that meaning to our, our customers. How did you choose Bristol? What What's the history here, and, and, and what is it about Bristol? And Bristol, we, we wanted to find something that... I live in Bucks County. Gotcha. We obviously wanted to stay in Pennsylvania. And uh, we, we wanted to find something that was reasonable. Yeah, for everybody listening, we're like the doors are open. Yeah, and uh, there's we're... somebody with a with a uh, hopped up car. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, we wanted to find a place that we we saw a few places in the in the area that were not as well suited in terms of their their uh, infrastructure. And back in 09, 010, back in 0910, the idea of opening up a distillery. And the abilities to find buildings, I'm sure, wasn't as open today or then as it is today. Yeah, I mean, right? and plus, I mean, like we wanted to, we're doing it. A lot of the smaller distilleries are doing it at a, at a scale where it's, you can fit into a easier footprint. I mean, you know, we, we have a um, a 2,000 liter still. We have uh, five um, uh, 6,000 liter fermenters. They're big. They're heavy. Uh, we are using uh, three phase electric, uh, you know, high, high voltage electric for our our uh, agitators and our pumps um, and this building happened to have all that stuff built in I and mean, it was already wired for three phases we're just waiting for voltage. dad's hat right that's really what it was waiting exactly. for. exactly so we have the high ceilings here the concrete floors which i wish we had a little more money to make them look nicer but they're so they're very old and a bit cracked uh we've cleaned up some of it and and refinished part of it uh but um 
So this place looks, uh, we, we call it industrial chic. You know, it's a, it still maintains its, its uh, DNA of its uh, past as a textile mill. Uh, we A lot of the things we, in our tasting room and in our office were basically uh, items that were being thrown away, which we, we recovered out of the trash. Okay. Some really cool old uh, World War II vintage metal desks and things like that. So, um, so we've we've tried to be sort of the recycle, reuse attitude that we. I think uh, that adds to the whole nostalgia of right. what you're doing, and right. and it all fits. That's why I said this building was waiting for you. And, and Bristol, obviously, as you said, it's an old mill town. There's a lot of industry here, and it allows people to move in and, and do exactly what you're doing. And, and the local uh, reception was great. Uh, you know, we, we, had to get a, we had to go to the zoning board to get a slight variance on, the, on the, what we're doing here because it was a little different than a kind of uh, uh, that, was, that was already pre-approved. But, um, you know, we had a, we, the management of the borough were very open-minded and really helped us, uh, you know, in that process. And it was a, you know, it's been a great relationship. They've been very supportive. Uh, we try to respect them as well. They, the, some people in the neighborhood were concerned about smells and things like that. And we've, you know, we make sure. That I'd we, say if anybody you know, has any concern about these smells, then uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it, that's it's like easy. saying I, I don't like the smell of coffee. I just, that, you know, that, that's easy to say when you live when you live <laughs> next door or when you don't live next door, right? Because. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you don't want necessarily that to be twenty four seven in your house. But so we're very respectful of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we make sure we uh, th- we uh, we vent ourselves the right way, and uh, and and plus we're not so big to generate that much. I mean, in the building you can get it. Uh, it doesn't travel much beyond that. So we were we were um, we want to respect the concerns of the of the neighbors around here, and I think we've been we've been here now since two thousand and eleven, and. We've had no complaints, and uh, and we have a great relationship with the borough still. We participate in some of their uh, 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 the events that take place here, where they do uh, uh, they do walking tours and things like that. And they, we we do open house here in October. Um, we'd like to do more. I mean, we've been so focused on building our brand nationally that we've we probably haven't done as much locally as we'd like. Uh, we're going to try to correct that this fall. We've said that before, but. It's easy to get distracted, and uh, by you know when you, when we're we're moving into Texas, we just moved into Oklahoma. Uh, we're talking to South Carolina and Florida, and those are important markets for us. But um, so we're going to try to find ways to get more engaged locally um, this fall. But I can share with you, and we talked about this, you know, as we as we were preparing for the podcast. You're you've been recognized nationally, yeah, as a wonderfully award winning rye spirit again your goal is hey rye is going to be this is the new thing of the old thing right mm-hmm. and you set out to make a quality product and you have which has been recognized nationally and i think even internationally as well yeah internationally was was doing pretty well until the uh, european tariffs hit us but so we've slowed down a bit overseas but yeah we, so if we can know, smuggle some dad's head overseas there's still for you. places with, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, we enjoy getting those uh we get emails and and uh social media posts from like right now we're actually breaking um uh we've we're working with a distributor in south africa and the distilled spirits council has a person in south africa who promotes american spirits generally for the industry and uh they've been including our spirits in in tastings in south africa and our distributor down there hopefully will you know we'll be entering the market very soon and so that's kind of fun to see and we've we get pictures there's a uh, 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 one of our investors and an old friend of mine lives in edinburgh and uh, there's a couple of bars in edinburgh and he'll go in and you know we're on the bar there and uh, in scotland which is you know like uh you know that's as they say coles to newcastle so uh it's kind of cool to see uh 
that even in places like Scotland, where uh, we're, you know we're getting on the on bars. That's got to be exciting for you. You know, going back to you know just going out to Michigan and and trying to figure out what you want to do to where you are today, and just say, wow, you know, people are sending pictures and we're talking to South Africa. That's got to be a phenomenally you know great Europe, but you're humble, right? I, I get that from you that 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 all that experience and all that fame and stuff is is still just okay for you, right? Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, John and I are very proud of what we're doing. You know, we, maybe we don't do as much self-promotion as we should. Uh, we're, we're pretty modest about it, but we're very proud of what we've done. And we know that the, um, the acceptance of the product, the distribution, the awards, and um, and the coming up, you know, at now with some of the new products we're coming out, the older products uh, that are joining the award-winning younger products, um, you know, it's, it's fun. It's a, it's, it's still challenging and still fun. So, what was that aha moment for you through the process where you knew you had something? You knew this is exactly what you set out to do. What was that aha first aha moment for you? Well, I guess it was December of 2015 when they we were selected for um, Craft Whiskey of the Year by Whiskey Advocate. I mean, you know, we were doing well. We were, you know, we were growing and accepting in, in, in some new uh, markets. But uh, literally in the beginning of December uh, 2015, we got a phone call saying you've been selected, uh, you know, for the uh, 2016 um, Craft Whiskey of the Year. So that was pretty exciting because immediately as soon as that word got out, I mean, we had distributors calling up and doubling their orders. and uh, It's like finding out somebody was nominated for an Emmy. Exactly. So it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, So that was really saying, okay, you know, we're... We're legit. I mean, we're, it was again craft whiskey of the year, so you know we're still not, uh, uh, we're, you know, we're not an eighteen-year-old Scotch, you know. Uh, but um, you know, it was that was very gratifying to see that we were being recognized by people who understand uh, what we're trying to do, and um, and that was uh, that really moved us to another level, you know. So that was your aha moment. That's the exciting part. Were there times when you kind of threw up your hands at any point and said, "This is just more than I want to take on," or were there? times when things just didn't work for you well i mean it's it's frustrating when um you know we still have people in the industry and some consumers who will you know say oh you're just a craft guy and okay it's true you know our 15 gallon whiskey um you know it's a it's a craft spirit but then it was interesting to see though you see uh, there are one or two scotch brands and now even uh, a couple of the big bourbon guys, they're, they're registering labels, which means they're looking at the possibility of using quarter casks in, a, in their aging profile. So, um, so that's the good side. I mean, so it's a, it's a little sometimes a little frustrating to you hear that. Um, so are you saying it's, it's just really how you're recognized by the size of the cask or barrel you're using? Yeah, I mean, pe- people prejudge what they're going to get. If it's not a 50-gallon barrel, it's... If, if it's not, an, if it's not a... A, a very old, uh, you know, product and, and aged in a big barrel. The um, there are some people who prejudge it, and that's a little frustrating. But it's true. The, the you know, we're not one. Of, we're not saying that the product we make in less than a year in fifteen gallon barrels is as good as or the same as uh, a four year old or a six year old or a ten year old uh, product, whether it's a bourbon, a rye, or, or a scotch. Um, it's different. And we make it differently. We run we run the still differently for the 15-gallon barrels than we do for the 53s. So the, the spirit going in is cleaner to start with because we know that in one year, there are some things that you're not going to accomplish in a small barrel uh, in just a year. I think that's what makes this 
the craft distilling industry, I mean, it really puts you as being an artisan, that you know how the materials you have to work with and, and how you have to set those right. to get the product you're looking right. for. And, and I think that that's really more what I would say is I think that sets you apart at a higher level than it does just continuously using the same thing day in, day out. It, it, and it's it, a unique challenge for yeah. us, you know. And and what's, you know, and, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the big guys in our industry are really skilled and they make a lot of really good product, you know. it's um, So there's no putting down what they do, but we're just doing things that are different and fun and innovative. And you see people doing things in other, uh, other craft spirit makers doing, you know, making... Uh, you know, quinoa whiskey and things like that. I mean, it's... I've seen bread food vodka. I mean, it's, I've just you know, seen so a lot of different things. A lot of things right. going on. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you're going to be a swing and a miss. And sometimes you're going to you know, get a single, double, triple out of it, you know. Uh, and, it, it's, and, and it's creative. It's fun. And, uh, and it gives consumers some fun things to choose from. Absolutely. So, so take us through the lineage of the product. You started out with... The, the well, first our, rye, our, our first, we, we call our classic rye. That's the we uh, we sell that. It's a less than a year old. <clears throat> it's not, uh, ninety proof. <clears throat> Excuse me. There I, you I go. Clear, my throat. Your, clear throat. That's better. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so that's our that we, that's our classic rye. It's less than a year old. We we, we ball it ninety proof. It's a great everyday drinker. I mean, it's um, it, a lot of people use it in cocktails. I like it in the summertime. I'll I'll drink it on the rocks with a little spritz of soda in it, like a like a highball. Um, and one of the classic highballs of all time is Ryan Ginger. It's excellent in that. So it's a great everyday drinker. How did you how did you select the ninety proof? How did you come out with where you wanted the proof <clears throat> to be? That was um, we just John and I lined up a bunch of, uh, of uh, different proof levels and tasted. Gotcha. Until we found the one we liked. Okay. And uh, that's that's kind of what we did for all of them. You know, it's mostly. Um, Trial and error. You know, we just put some, we lined up some different ones. Between the heat and the flavor and everything that came out, that right. was really where it, it sat for you. Throw it in a cocktail, see how it comes out. Gotcha. Um, you know, and then there's also a little bit of the consumer perception as well that you don't want to go too high. Even though there's a lot of people who love the cast strength whiskeys, there are a lot of people who, to, when you get close to triple digits, they freak out a little bit. It's, you know, they, they, they get a little concerned it's going to be too hot. Uh, so... A little bit of that, but mostly it was. It came down to you know, lining up uh, glasses and John and I sampling and tasting and and saying, okay, that's what we think is the best balance of heat and spice and standing up in a cocktail, but yet also not too hot for a young spirit uh, to to be consumed neat if you wanted to. So that was your classic. That was the first one that's that you produced, one, yes. and then take us through the lineage of, of what's come next. We uh, after we were pretty comfortable that we were making pretty good juice, then we started making. We started. We modified a bit the process on the still to make a what I what I would call a fatter cut off the still to go into 53. So we start laying down 53s in 2012, and at the same time, John had the idea. John's like uh, he's a big Scotch drinker, and the idea uh, of a lot of scotches are are barrel finished in <clears throat> sherry casks or port casks and things like that. So he had the idea. He thought this would be a good marriage with port. So we were thinking about that, and as we were thinking about that, literally that same week, someone gave me a bottle of a vermouth from California called Via Vermouth. So John and I were making um, uh, Manhattan cocktails, as we were uh, apt to do on Friday afternoons. We would make cocktails and, and have a cigar and a cocktail outside uh, on the, what we call the, the balcony out here. Okay. And, um, and <laughs> the loading dock, basically. The loading dock, yeah, basically. So, um, I love the balcony. <laughs> so we... Uh, 
somehow got the idea that you know, why not call these guys in California because we 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 like their vermouth very much, and say, hey, would you uh, would you be willing to sell us your used vermouth uh, barrels? And that's where the vermouth and port finishes came from. And it turns out they also make a port style wine as well, so we we're able to source barrels from there that we use to uh, finish. Uh, our whiskey after it's been aged in the 15 gallon quarter casks then we put it in those barrels for finishing so those were the those are the next two products in the evolution of the line where, where did you go from there the next thing is was our straight whiskey gotcha. and our straight whiskey our first ones that came out they were just over the two-year mark uh, then we uh, then we then we hit we changed the label and we hit everything was minimum of three years old and those are for those of you uh, those of you who have seen it it's the our black and gold label that was out for several, a couple years. Then last year, um, we hit all, we we laid down some barrels that we were ta- we taste tested over time, and we were even though we were afraid they start might they might start picking up too much wood. In fact, what happened was that the, the wood dimension actually kind of peaked a little bit and started to subside. So we were kind of happy that we saw the uh, evolution of that wood note in our whiskey go from a a more tannic side to a, to a rounder, uh, more mature oak side. So we felt that it was then a smart idea for us to uh, stop selling the three-year-old and go to a four-year-old, and that's what we've done. And that's what we have here. <clears throat> that's right? what we have that's here. That's what we're going to taste here. So yeah. you so, finally reached a four-year-old, and is 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 that about where you're going to stop, or are you looking to get into the higher age? Uh, we will occasionally go to the higher, like right now. Uh, we, we're just going through the selection process for our the this year's bottle and bond release. Uh, every the past two years we've done uh, bottle and bond releases, which are by uh, by uh, the requirement to be at least four years old. The six barrels we've chosen uh, this year are uh, they were distilled in 2014, so they're they are now five years old, and we happen to be lucky enough to get our hands on some uh, special barrels from our barrel supplier, uh, McGinnis, in Missouri, that were, uh, instead of one year air dry on the wood, in, in the, the uh, seasoning of the wood being one year, it's a three year. So they have, this wood's been seasoned for three years. So we managed to get some of these barrels back five years ago, and we're, we've selected those barrels now to be uh, this year's Ball and Bond. So that will be five-year-old whiskey. So that's, that's about where we think the sweet spot is for rye. Uh, looking back at the, my dad, my grandpa's favorite whiskeys, which the, their favorite was a, a brand called Sam Thompson Rye, which was made in Pennsylvania from the 1850s, of course, with a hiatus for prohibition, and was made up until the 1970s. And if you look at those bottles, they all say on the back of them four years old. I mean, that's that was that what they felt was a reasonable time frame uh, for that whiskey, where you get you get the mature oak influence, but yet you maintain that bright spiciness that people like so much about rye whiskey. So right now, where are the next stages of Dad's Hat? Where do you see you through the industry, some of the products that you're kind of creating? That's a good question. I mean, uh, I talked about some playing with playing on the, with the malts, trying to find some unique malts locally. I think it will be some fun things. Um, we are also doing some uh, research with DelVal University on the rye grain itself. Uh, we have, um, uh, back in 2014, well, actually, when I was doing my original research uh, back in 2010, uh, we identified a, a, uh, a, uh, a strain of rye called Rosen Rye. Right, Laura Fields. 
and the Fields Foundation. She's helping to build and cultivate that. Yeah, but well, that, I mean, this was years. This before. was no, no, look, it didn't exist that, yeah. before she yeah. found it. But she's also helping to produce and promote well, that. Well, no, I, I found it. Oh, you did? Absolutely. All yes. right. Yeah. Well, this is like yeah. a new tale to the story. I like the way that turns. No, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, I, that was research done in 2010. Okay. Um, we, I, I approached Penn State about it in 2015. I approached uh, DelVal. DelVal was closer, so we worked with DelVal. Okay. Um, uh, I'm not sure when Laura plugged in, but. Yeah, that, that, that was a... Uh, you have to listen to the last podcast we did with her to find out. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. Um, so we, um, um, so we, did, we started working with the, uh, with the Rose and Rye. We now have... Um, we're going to do a uh, batch on uh, my grandpa's old still over there, which we've just registered with the Fed so we can do it uh, legally. So we're going to do a small batch based on this year's uh, 50 or so pounds. We're, we're going to take about 10 pounds of it to make a small batch just to test... To see what we Herman, I think still. that's all exciting, and and the fact that you're using your your grandpappy still, it's pretty and fun. Yeah. It's pretty so fun. so when as as a consumer, when can we expect that that's going to be released? That's going to don't, be don't get too far ahead, no, no, right? Because no, you know, that small test is going to yield only enough to for R and D purposes, okay. you know, just a test and taste. Um, what day's test and taste day? So yeah, I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. We'll see. We have. Um, and, and, of course, uh, the majority of the grain that's been harvested this year is being replanted again. Okay. So it's going to be another couple of years till we get enough to make commercial quantities of grain, let alone have enough to then, you know, put in a barrel, wait for it to age. So, you know, we're talking four or five years from now minimum before we have tasteable, you know, commercially acceptable. But this is, this is, again, going back to that artisan craft spirit as far as what you're doing and the ability to do things that really on a smaller scale – to create unique products that either we haven't had in in decades, right? Right. right. Or nobody has really experienced through. I mean, you'll get this. You'll get to experience something that maybe that's been on your palate as a kid, but now we get to experience it a different way. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, because if you look at back, like um, I have an old. In fact, it used to be uh, there was somebody was selling it on on um, on eBay. Is a, a, a advertising poster from the forties. Uh, for Shenley Rye, which used to be old Shenley turned into a, a very cheap uh, uh, blend at the end of its life. But the brand, when it existed as a pure, as a rye whiskey, uh, was a premier brand made out in Shenley, Pennsylvania. Uh, and they and they advertised in their print advertising made with rose and rye. Um, I mean, I, you know, back when I was t- starting the research, you know, the the um, rose and rye was a pretty big deal. There's a there's still a bakery in Chicago, okay, called the Rose and Rye Bakery. And so that, that was a, an identifiable thing back then. You're so. an incredible steward of the history of rye in Pennsylvania and distilled spirits in Pennsylvania as well. I mean, that's something that people can learn. And that, I think that, get, again, goes to the, the, the brand that you put on the label and what you carry on through what you put in a glass at the end of the well, day. Well, again, I, I mean, I lived a lot of this because, my, you know, my grandfather, even when he was uh, in his older years, moved back in with us when I was a teenager. And, you know, um, you know, my job was to bring him his, his medicine before dinner, which was two fingers of rye whiskey. Okay. So there was always an open ball of rye whiskey in our kitchen, uh, you know, from the time I was a kid all the way through uh, when I left for college in, in, uh, in the 70s. So, um, so yeah, for me, it's, it's, you know, I've known that connection. The, um, with some help from people like, um, uh, I don't know if you know, if you've run into Sam Conlenick. And uh, there's another guy, uh, John Lippman from okay. Ohio. Uh, they are stewards of a lot of the history in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania rye. Those two guys probably know more than anybody uh, about Pennsylvania rye, and, and uh, you know they were 
you know, I had um, I met them early on. Uh, it, I met them on the internet, but uh, it was that's how we that's how we that's, meet everybody. That's how everybody we meet now. on the internet, and um, you know, we, and uh, managed to connect with them to visit some places uh, in the mid let's say two thousand six two thousand seven time frame. And they also gave me a lot of information about the old recipes and some of the old brands and reminded me of the history that I had almost forgotten in my own hometown, that where the Gibson Rye Whiskey Distillery was located right on the river. Uh, in fact, when I was, uh, one of the things that jogged my memory was John Lippman has a picture on his website of him standing on the bridge that leads across to the old Gibson Yards where the Gibson Distillery was. I used to drive across that bridge to go to work and I worked, I worked summers at the still mill MS when I was in college. And I was like, yeah, I remember. I used to drive across that bridge, and that's right where the Gibson Distillery, which was, again, the largest uh, whiskey distillery in North America until 1920 when it was torn down. So all those kind of little connections and, and pieces of tidbits. All those little sign markers that were eventually going to lead you to here, yeah, they, but you just didn't realize what, was, what impact they were going to make. And it's been, it's been fun. And the, the, those guys, uh, they're, you know, they're a great source of information. It's fun to sort of share stories with them and manage to get together with them a couple times a year and and somehow they managed to pull bottles of old old dusties out of the woodwork from someplace. Um, they've actually, in turn, John Lippman brought a bottle of, um, of rye whiskey that was uh, made at the at the uh, uh, Pennsylvania or the Philadelphia Pure Rye Whiskey Company, okay, uh, which was located in Croydon until 1920. I have a diagram of it up on the wall over there, and uh, he managed to get a bottle made pre-prohibition from there, a little uh, that we shared here at the bar. And uh, Sam uh, brought a bottle of, from the Gibson Distillery uh, at a different time, uh, same t- same time from late late teens. Uh, that was uh, you know unopened, and we shared here at the. That bar, had to so. be a magical experience. Oh, it's very kind cool. of like hair standing on the back of your neck, kind Absolutely. of stuff. Realizing, you know, what's happening since what went into that bottle through today. I mean, you're almost talking ninety years old. Yeah, almost a hundred years old. Yeah, hundred oh, yeah, years old. Yeah, of, of, of just. That's just sitting there waiting. Yep. Right? Yeah. And, and they're fortunate enough to, I mean, what happens is these, you know, there's like a little sort of a network where people, you know, trade these bottles and stuff. And they, uh, they've been plugged into these networks long enough to, to find some of these. And it's kind of cool once in a while when one of these things surface and, you know, somebody, somebody you know, finds it in a basement somewhere, you know. And, uh, yeah, you go through somebody, grandma and grandpa's house and like you open up this cabinet and there are all these old bottles and something way in the back. Yeah. And they're thinking, oh, that that old stuff, you know, and you find you found gold in, in their little cabinet. So it's been it's been neat. It's been neat. So we, you know, again, and I've read a lot of books in, in, in that time period as well. There's a, I'm going to forget the name of the book now, but there's a, a book written by a, uh, a farmer in um, Lancaster in 1810. I guess okay. he wrote the book about how to make whiskey. Uh, so you get an insight as to what they were doing in these farm distilleries back in the early 1800s. Um, basically, the the book says, go out in the field, go work for the day, come home. Your wife has distilled uh, all the spirits for for whatever you need, and she's taking care of it. Basically. Yeah, I mean, and this is, was the beginning of the commercial guys too. I yeah, mean, you know, uh, one of the, my one of the places that you, uh, if you have a chance, you need to go out and visit is um, the West Overton Village. That and they just started uh, distilling again. Yes, they just started distilling again, and they uh, West Overton Village is where is the sort of the the old um, uh, site for where Old Overhaul was made. And starting in 1810, and so the uh, the the family started a grain mill there that turned into a distillery in 1810. That eventually, through a few iterations, became Old Overholt Whiskey. It had a couple names before that. But what's pretty cool is that they've 
Um, they've hired a, a new museum manager out there, um, and they're constructing a really a, a pretty cool uh, site. I mean, the West Overton Village, which encompasses not just the distillery, but some of the uh, the neighboring uh, trades, I guess, that supported it as well. And uh, so I highly recommend anybody who's interested in the history of American whiskey and Pennsylvania whiskey in particular, uh, check out old over, uh, the old the old Overhold site in West Overton, Pennsylvania. It's out in Western PA. Um, and it's uh, and the, the team that they have there managing the place now is doing an excellent job. And that, that's going to increasingly become, I see that as sort of the, um, the where the, the, bon- the Pennsylvania bona fides will be sort of uh, nested there uh, as a place where we can look back and see how it was done uh, you know, 100 and almost 200. But how do you feel about being part of that history? I mean, do you recognize that not only are you connected to your past, the past of rye whiskey and whiskey production in Pennsylvania, but you're also connected to the future? And for you and John, for what you've done, you've spawned a lot of this craft coming back. I mean, how does that feel for you? Do you I don't know. I mean, because you have a good sense of history. I can tell. I don't get much of a chance to think about it, you know, because we're. We're like super busy just trying to keep up, you know, so, right. so I really haven't had a chance to reflect on any of that. And, you know, John and I sort of live in the moment, you know, we're we're in one in one hand, we take very seriously what we're doing. But on the other hand, we want to do the best we can to enjoy it while we can. So so I, we really haven't I don't I mean, John, maybe you can t- ask him, but okay. I, I have really haven't reflected on that m- much myself. So. Well, for this brief moment in time, we could reflect on that and realize your place in history and really what impact you're making still. People come in here who've never, you've had that experience, right? You lead the tour, you're here. And you introduce people to rye whiskey and they've never had rye whiskey before. All they know is let's say, you know, know, scotch or Irish whiskey or bourbon, right? And and they don't know the history in Pennsylvania. I mean, and it's a really rich history that, like I said, I think the West Overton team is gonna do a great job of trying to elevate that. They're getting increasing amount of attention from people in the industry. Uh, some of the big guys, uh, the, the Jim Beam owns the brand. They've been taking an interest in it and trying to help, uh, you know, sort of elevate that status of Pennsylvania whiskey and the history of Pennsylvania whiskey, which I think is a is a very cool thing. Um, and again, the uh, Jessica is the uh, the general manager out there. She's doing a fantastic job. She's got a great team. Uh, we go out there every year, and uh, for um, they do a fundraiser in I think it's in October. I okay, might be wrong November maybe. It's called the Whiskey Smash. Where they have a, a tasting of uh, of whiskeys there, and uh, it's a lot of fun. They open up the old uh, one of the old distillery buildings uh, that is now being turned into a, uh, a, a place to display all the things that they're collecting. Um, so it's um, so I'll be out there again this fall and doing what we can to to help support what they're doing. We 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 and as as well as uh, Liberty Pole, who's out in West uh, Western PA, uh, are doing our best to provide guidance to the new distilling team out there so that they get themselves off the ground uh, in, in a good way. And that, that's pretty cool, too, to have them being able to make something on site. And when people go visit there, they'll get a real, you know, direct exposure to, okay, this is what distilling is. And eventually, the, you know, they'll get a chance to make some fun products out there as well. I love and respect that about all the people that I get a chance to meet. You know, as I'm just a consumer. I'm just happy to really sample and enjoy what your craft is. But everybody comes together as a brotherhood, a sisterhood, in terms of wanting to help each other, saying, hey, we're in this together. And if, if we can elevate what we do as a craft, it brings and introduces more people to it, and we all win, right? I mean, well, it's yeah, not— Yeah, I mean, one of the things we did, um, in fact, this was spearheaded by the, the uh, folks at Liberty Pole, um, 
they have been doing for the past several years, they do a, um, a festival in Washington, Pennsylvania to commemorate the, uh, the Whiskey Rebellion. And it's, it's quite a nice affair. I, I went there this year. It's like a, I think it's a three-day event. Uh, they have music at night and during the day they have, you know, food stands and all this kind of stuff. And they have people there doing reenactments of, uh, of uh, events during that time. Uh, and it helps support the local historical society and the, um, uh, and the local, uh, it's called the uh, uh, Bradford House. So there's um, uh, all these uh, things going on out there. And um, uh, so what, in order to raise money for that event, Liberty Pole uh, sent an email out to everyone in Pennsylvania making right whiskey and said, hey, would you be willing to contribute some whiskey towards a, a blend that we will package specifically for the event, sell it, and then donate the proceeds to the, um, to the people uh, at the festival? And so we did that, and uh, we have uh, a, uh, the, the, the rye whiskey blend that was sold to uh, support and raise money for the, uh, the festival, which was a pretty cool thing. That's really unique and, and, yeah, and so fun. It was, it was um, Dad's Hat, uh, Thistle Finch, Barrel 21, um, Red Pump out in Western PA, Liberty Pole, Wiggle, and there's one more that I'm going to forget. Okay. I feel yeah. bad if I forget somebody. But uh, it was it was a uh, well uh, it was fun it was a lot of fun. So it's been a lot of fun. You doing stuff with maple? Yeah, we do some fun things locally here. We the maple is actually sold in PA and, and locally here at the distillery. What we do is we take our used barrels and we send them to a maple syrup producer. They fill them with maple syrup. Then we take the maple syrup out and sell it, and then we put whiskey back in, so that it picks up just a little whisper of uh, of maple. It's not really overwhelming like. And we don't want the, the whiskey to be overwhelmed by the maple. And we do the same thing with honey. Uh, we work with, uh, there's a, um, a beekeeper in South Jersey uh, called um, uh, Fruitwood Orchards. We send the same thing. They, they put honey in the barrels. Honey comes out. We sell the honey. And then we put the whiskey back in to pick up a little hint of, hint of honey. So that's kind of a, those are smaller scale things we do. We sell the, the honey finish is sold in New Jersey and here at the distillery. The maple finish is sold here at the distillery and in Pennsylvania, and that's for the time being, that's all. And then you have your rock and rye. The rock and rye, which is also only sold in PA in New Jersey for the time being. Again, that's the old style recipe, and we do it the old way. I mean, it's, we start with the whiskey. We, um, we add uh, uh, rock candy and rock candy syrup. Uh, we, do, uh, we literally cut up uh, two cases of oranges and, and, and lemons, uh, apricots, and then we use um, uh, cinnamon stick cloves and then whorehound and whorehound being the key ingredient because that, back in the day rock and rye was was kind of uh, promoted as, a, as an elixir right something that um, and particularly in Victorian times when drinking whiskey was perhaps frowned upon if you were drinking some rock and rye and someone called you out on it you could say oh no 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 I, I have a cough okay so, so uh, because whorehound is a, a natural cough suppressant where do you source whorehound from I don't know. John got it. He got. He found it. He got a big heaping bag of it. It's it's like an herb. It's, it looks okay. like uh, looks kind of like mint. Okay, I guess it's related to the mint. Uh, and that's really family. really gives it that minty flavor. A little to minty it as well. and yeah. almost bitter. It's got yeah. that gives it, which actually makes it almost like a ready to drink uh, old fashioned. You know, you get the bitters right into it, and uh, and it, it's it's just something you could like you put in the fridge and you could just pour right over an ice cube and throw a little you know throw a garnish on it and it's like an instant cocktail. Now, initially, that was just a, a seasonal release. Are, are you doing this all year round it, now, or is it going to stick to It's available season? all year round. It's, it's in the stores all year round, although, obviously, it's very much oriented towards the holidays. Okay. You know, people think of Rock and Riley, think of the holidays. But you'd be surprised. I mean, in Pennsylvania, uh, you know, the 
the Jacqueline's brand, which has been around for a long time, they sell a lot of that stuff all year round. It's, it's a pretty popular product. It's, I mean, it's, theirs is lower alcohol than ours, so it's, it's a little easier to, to consume. And it's um, also for, sweeter. For and yours, yours has a such sweeter. a complex, there's such a diversity of flavor, too. You yeah, really we, get a good flavor. In order to be called Rock and Rye, in order to be, be classified by the federal government as a Rock and Rye cordial, you have to have at least 5% by weight sugar. We are at like 5.01. We, yeah. we went right to the minimum. And ours is at 90 proof. So you, you get, again, more influence of the, of the whiskey, less influence of the sweet. Um, but, we want, but the spices are pretty strong. And the orange and the citrus uh, dimensions to it are pretty pretty strong. So, we, we like the balance we struck with it. It's a little different than what uh, than the some of the other ones that are. Although th- there are some higher proof ones out there now as well, but um, uh, we kind of like this balance we struck because again for us it's like you put it over a, a big ice cube and you've got yourself a um, a cocktail right out of right out of the shoot. So you did do a little pour for us. We have yep. your four-year-old here. Yep. I may need a little bit more, actually. Okay. So, you well, you had that. You needed to clear. Uh, yeah, I had yeah. to clear my throat yeah. a little bit there, so I need a little bit more. So this is, again, this is your artisan spirit. This is going back to what you were looking to try to create. What on the nose and, and, and this the flavor? This is the one that in my mind's eye. See, John is much better on the analytical side of tasting. John is very good at telling, you know, he'll go into... You know, all the different profiles. For me, it's almost more of an emotional click. It's like when I smell it, I go, yeah, that's it. I mean, I mean, there's the obvious points here, which are, you know, you get that, that kind of kind of like a, a hot cinnamon on yep. the nose. And then because this, it's a little warm in here today, so it, it is a bit uh, more pronounced on the nose. Which my, mine's been sitting out for a while, so some of that may have mellowed out a little yeah, bit. so you get the alcohol burn off a little bit, and then you... You open your mouth, you get uh, the combination of the cinnamon and it's kind of a, a dark fruit. You know, you get um, our our twenty our um, our ninety proof classic. The fruit notes on that are more apricot and, and orchard fruit. You know, like a, a lighter fruits. This is it starts to get a little dark, more a little darker. You know, more cherry um, and prune. You know, plum uh, kind of thing. But and then you know, so that's what you get on the nose and. Um, then on a the palate, you, you want to get that, that little burst of, 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 of spice because that is what people, a lot of people are looking for with, their, with, um, with rye. Yeah, you just let that sit on your tongue and open up and you get a little bit of maltiness and, and which gives up, some people call it a little bit of, a, of a, almost like a, a little tiny bit of smokiness comes from the malt because there is a lot of malt in here, so 20% malt. It's not a peated malt, but it has a little bit of a roasted dimension to it right and then um and then the fruit comes back and you do get a bit of um a bit of the like you said before the mint and the uh and the floral side uh before you get to to the finish which is a a more strong spice one of the things that i think that people gravitate towards in, in the rye is they're looking for that technical rye burn yeah. And this doesn't necessarily, you're going to get the spiciness of the rye. Right. You're going to get the pepper. You're going to get the, the little bit of the heat. Right. But this is easy to sip just all day. Well, that's, you that, know, this, with this one, that's what we want to do. This, yeah, this, this, this is, is a, a great sipper. sipping. This is a good, this, yeah. is, this is our sipper. This is one we want you to, you know, uh, savor and sip and enjoy. And, and, you know, like I said, you want to want to chew it like you're chewing it like yeah. that, you know, let it, let it evolve inside your mouth. And it's fun. It, it's fun to see how it changes. And, um, you know, it does dry out. You get a little bit of a dry out at the end. Right. Which and that's again, a little bit of the oak coming yeah, through. A little bit of the oak dry out at the end, yeah. Um, I, I, I get a little earthiness to it, just a little bit, and that could be the smokiness. That's what I was saying. Malt. Yeah, you want to call it, maybe, because some people, um, in fact, um, we were, 
uh, I don't know if you, you've seen, uh, Fred Minnick does a uh, weekly live YouTube tasting. Always like to give shout outs to other, uh, yeah. Yeah, other and, people and, doing uh, stuff. And a few weeks ago, we were in, in the palate of things that, or, that he tasted, and he, um, he likened that to dirt. Like freshly, you know, dirt. You know, you just you put your shovel in the ground, and turn it over that that smell. That's what he called it. So, okay. So your earth. Yeah. When when you just you know, it's like when the, when you turn the earth over and you can feel that little the, the particles in the air. Yeah. And it kind of gets on your, but it's a very it's a very pleasant feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that that's what he characterizes. Okay. So, uh, that earthiness, uh, you know, that, and that's that's uh, you know, some people. Maybe smoky is not the right way to characterize. Like I said, no, I also I, get, I do also get John's smokiness. Way, John's from it. way better at that. <laughs> he does a much better job of describing that that part of it. For me, it's like, yeah, this rings the bell, and this rings the bell big time. I also get there's a little citrus to it. I don't know. I get an orange note to it, and I, I do feel the, the dark fruits on on my tongue, and it's it's not a heavy feeling, and it, and it just goes through the whole progression very well. This is delicious, and I think. If, if you haven't had, if, if you've gone through the, you know, what you've done and you've been tasting the, you know, the progression of what yeah. Dad's Hat's been doing, this four years, just amazing. It's really, it's, we're really proud of it. It's like, you know, we made a change on the label from the black and gold to the green to make, uh, first of all, a lot of our distributors said that green is the, is the color for rye. Uh, a lot of the, if you look in the shelf, green is a kind of a, an eye catcher for rye. So we changed it for that reason. And uh, we wanted the people to be clear when they see this that, you know, the change from three to four years. So from now on, all of, all of our straight whiskey will be a minimum of four years. And you also have the Keystone, rec, you know, Keystone, representing oh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah, that was early on where we, um, uh, you know, wanted to make that as a way to communicate, you know, where, you know what, we're, what we're doing and where we're from. And this is 95 proof. 95 proof. And, and it doesn't, it, again, you don't get that heavy proof burn through it. No, I mean, so it, 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 today, it, because the temperature in here is a little warm, you get a little bit on the nose, it's, it, it'll back you off a little bit. Right. But, you know, if this were at a normal room temperature, you know, no, it, it, it just settles in nicely. You get a nice, um, and I think that here, you know, I didn't pick up some of the normal floral sides because I, I maybe was a little overwhelmed with the alcohol, but normally you're going to get, you get a, a fair amount of uh, almost like rose petal uh, floral Things going on in there, yeah. You know, so, which is which is also kind of neat, and that's that's the fun thing. I mean, everybody's not the same. Everybody's gonna gonna, and and also a lot of the, a lot of what you taste here, in my opinion, and having worked for a flavor and fragrance company for a while, not being an, a flavorist, but someone who's talked to them, is what the, what you taste here is influenced a lot by your own past. Yes, I mean, you know, uh, uh, smell is a deep stem function of your brain. And if you if you kept pick up something here that you remember from your childhood, and it's it's not back there in your brain someplace, you're gonna that's gonna you're gonna identify that right away, you know. So so this is this is that process of going through the tasting is one that can is sometimes personalized by your own history. You know, if there are I mean we've had people come up to us who almost get emotional and say, you know, this reminds me of the Manhattans that my grandmother used to mix at Christmas time and she used to sneak me the cherries on the side and they really get emotional because it it's almost it's almost involuntary they can't help it it's something that's deeply seated in their memories and it's the same thing when you taste it I mean if you taste this and there's something that you remember as a kid like one of the things that I remember as a kid I grew up uh, they used to um, used to uh, part of the roads in our neighborhood were dirt you know and they would they would spray oil on the roads in the summertime okay the dust down and um, 
the uh, and that smell of oil. Like if I go by and someone's doing a roof, I mean it's like I'm five, it's like I'm five years old again. You know, it just draws you back. Well, so, you had a nice memory. Of, see, to me, it was always manure spread on the fields. So that's what I. No, always I was more of a city guy. <laughs> it was most of the city, but, well, this was kind of on the edge, on the edge of town, but um, but those kind of memories will. Um, yeah. You know, you make that connection when you smell something in here, and if it's if it if it's if it if it rings a bell in your head somewhere, that's going to be the first one that comes out of your mouth. Oh, this reminds me of this, and, and that's it's a very um, your the sense of smell is a very powerful one, uh, and it's a like I said, it's one of those deep stem functions that is almost hard for you to control emotionally. You know, which is think about it, just sitting mm-hmm. down talking over a spirit. And, and, and reminiscing and, and just enjoying what that brings about. Yeah. And I think that's that's really an essence of, of, of what you get to share. And that's what we, we, we were really um, was fun about this because uh, one of the things that we're encouraged in general in the industry uh, and for us, in, us specifically is that we find a lot of people coming in uh, to visit us are interested, and particularly younger people in their 30s, uh, are very interested in knowing you know, they, they really want to do a deep dive on, you know, the history, the, the how do you make it and all that kind of stuff, because they are taking they're slowing down. They're slowing down to savor what they're doing. And it's really kind of fun to watch someone discovering, you know, uh, for the first time. Wow, this is really interesting. This is very different than what I would have expected. Um, so it's not just the experienced hands who come in, you know, people who are knowledgeable about whiskey. And it's fun to educate them and, 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 and expose them. But it's also fun to expose people who are, or aren't that experienced because they come in and, and you, you say, hey, you should, this is something, you, you know, slow down and try it. And they, it's fun to see that light go on, you know, and say, hey, yeah, this is kind of fun. This is kind of cool. You know, we're not doing shots and throwing up on the sidewalk. That's right. You this know, is not this is, for that this is at like, all. Enjoy it. Experience it. Talk about it with your friends. Right. Share it. You know, and you know, we are, we're we're going we're talking to uh, one of the local whiskey clubs to ha- start doing bottle sharings up here, and it, and that's what they do. They like to you know, hey, try this one. You should see what this says, or what it says to me, and then see what it says to you. And that's uh, it's part of the fun and uh, that it's involved in in the industry and consuming uh, responsibly these kind of uh, spirits. You know? So this has been a time for you just to slow down a little bit, and I'm grateful for your time. Yeah, um, I appreciate you. Your your schedule flexibility. We had to move things around a bit, but uh, and I appreciate you uh, no, coming in. This has been I, I've been looking forward to this opportunity to sit down and just, just slow down and you know learn more about Dad's Hat and just understand more about the process of how you got here today. Are there th- is there anything we didn't talk about today? Anything that you want to share or highlight that we may have missed in in our conversation? I don't know. You, you pretty well covered it. Okay. Um, I mean, like I said, the you know we're um, we are true blue in Pennsylvania rye, and we're you know the you know, we're it's the rye grain malt and no corn, no wheat, and we're we kind of stick to that. We don't do uh, really anything else, um, and so we're we're you know, focused big time on that, and we're having some fun. So, how do people find you? You're on the socials. You're on the internet. Yeah, we uh, from a social media. We're uh, at Dad's Hat Rye okay. on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, physically, we're in uh, Pennsylvania, of course. We're in 400 plus stores in Pennsylvania now. Uh, we're the second largest rye brand in Pennsylvania behind Bullet, which is we're, we're pretty proud of. That's a pretty big deal for That's a little a guy like us. That's a huge deal, yep. Uh, we're available in roughly 20 states or more. Our website will list the uh, states and the distributors in those states. So if you're in a state where you've not found us, but you where, where we are distributed, you could ask your local to 
go, you know, to contact our distributor and say, hey, could you bring this in? Um, so we're basically the East Coast down to D.C. We're in Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, Texas. We just started Oklahoma, Illinois, wet the entire West Coast, Nevada, Arizona, uh, not Oregon yet. Uh, we, we're a special order. In they're Oregon. so behind the times, those people. Well, they're getting there. <laughs> they're but getting there. It's a long way to go. I mean, we, you know, we look that you've worked really hard to build a national brand from this little. I mean, this is not huge, right? No, no. This is, you know, when people come and they should come here. This yeah, is we, a place do, they we should. We do tours most Saturdays uh, in the summertime. Sometimes we, we don't do tours when it's going to be really hot. Uh, this weekend we are, but we, we have we publish a schedule and we get people coming here from um, from all over, which is kind of fun too. Yeah, I, I just the times that I've been here, I enjoy hearing people's questions of you and the stories that you share with people and the history. Uh, it's just a wonderful experience, and uh, you know Bristol. You know this is a nice gem that Bristol has here in in Dad's Hat. It and really Bristol is. has done well for itself. I mean, yeah. when, when we first moved in, I mean the building next door to here was still standing, which was a decrepit, falling down industrial building, which. Our landlord is very nicely torn down and replaced with uh, some parking spaces and some nice landscaping. It's a much more presentable place. Bristol itself, uh, down at the riverfront, they just put a marina in. Uh, there's some nice new restaurants down there. Uh, Itri uh, Wood-Fired Pizzeria, the Mill Street Cantina, the King George, uh, and, and Annabella's, and all these places are doing a really great job down there. Uh, one of my favorite places, the Pineville Tavern, or the Pines Tavern, sorry. Pines Tavern down here in, uh, in in Bristol, all doing a super job. Fun place to visit. And there's some. They're doing a lot more things. The community events they do first Fridays, um, and they're doing con- they're doing concerts on the water down there now. It's uh, and of course the Bristol Theater that does a really professional. Yeah, there's job a lot well. of from when you started here when you've arrived. I mean, Bristol already had started laying the groundwork yep. for that, yeah. but uh, they're they're doing a lot. It's more of a destination. You know, you're yeah. not just kind of coming through and, and driving through. You're really stopping here and enjoying what people are producing. Absolutely. Herman, I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, I'm just blessed for the no, time that I'm I had. Glad you're Thank you. In. Thank you very much. And uh, looking forward to seeing all the great things in the future for Dad's Hat. And uh, yep. again, I'm just blessed that we get a, tra- a chance to try everything that's coming off of your mind and, and, and what came from your family to this bottle now. So thank you. Cheers. Cheers.